Now, I've still got the real reviews, which are the tweets from random strangers with numbers at the end of their names. <laughs> 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 You've got a fan here. Death to 2020 entertains and works as a humorous time capsule of the year. Not every joke lands. Black Boris Johnson? Question mark, question mark. He doesn't think it's possible, mate. But it moves at a fast enough pace that its failures can be ignored. Cheers, mate. (laughs) Hello, hello, hello. Pod number one of 2021. Full cast. Looking forward to this. It's going to be exciting. I will go around the houses. Alana, how are you? Yeah, very good. Happy New Year. Happy 2021. Why are you so full of beans? Because <laughs> I'm American. I don't know. Eternally enthusiastic. It gets tiring sometimes, Moving. doesn't it? No, it's, this is your day. This is your day. You can continue on the happy, trouble-free path that america's been on for the last 15 years <laughs> yeah it's all uh, it's all clear from here it's all up from here everything that happened the last four years is completely erased and you know it's just starting completely anew and i'll hear nothing against that it's back to the good old days isn't it <laughs> <laughs> oh dear dom how are you i'm good man i'm very good lockdown's doing the same to me as it is to everybody else but spirits are staying where they need to be for now so I'm good. Excellent. Nate. What's going on? What's going on? Back in the box. Excited to be here. Uh, yeah, happy new year. Similar to you, Dom. Lockdown, you know, lockdown fatigue is setting in, but we got to move. we got to continue. And Angelo? Yo, um, you know, like Marlo says in uh, The Wire, you know, after he kind of uh, ascends to the throne. Price of the bricks going up. Uh, you know, but no, in all seriousness, is I'm just I'm the same as everyone in it, like just kind of trying to get through this thing that's being made more difficult by our leadership. But hey, let's get let's get to it. So I'm I mean I'm I'm delighted. In fact, I'm delighted because the price of the brick is going up. <laughs> the price of the brick is going up for one of us, and that, my friends, is because we can finally, finally talk about. Our man, Angelo, Black Unicorn, in his debut feature or screen performance, Death to 2020. Round of applause for him. Yeah, right. I mean, mate, open up. How do you feel, first of all? Well, you know, we had a great run and then uh, Bridgerton came and stole our shit. No, I'm joking. It was... <laughs> no, it's, uh, it was great. It was, uh, it was good to see kind of people's reactions to it. I also kind of really enjoyed all of the... Because there was quite a lot of negative reviews, but then when you read the reviews, you realise that their issue isn't with Death to 2020. Their issues are twofold. One, that it's not a a weekly wipe, uh, an annual wipe, which is obviously Charlie Brooker's uh, BBC thing that he's done for years. And two, that it was a bit chaotic. And it's like, well, tell me how you're going to do a show about 2020 that isn't chaotic. Like, which literally started with Australia on fire and ended with a global pandemic. So, yeah, it was uh, it was it was an amazing experience and one I hope, well, not hope, one that I'm going to, you know, parlay into into more. Right, honestly, there's there's not even you, there's not even anything to be to be defended about it. And because I knew you were going to say this, 
I do a bit of research every now and then, and I've dug up the real reviews, which are the tweets from random strangers with numbers at the end of their names. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a fan here. Death to 2020 entertains and works as a humorous time capsule of the year. Not every joke lands. Black Boris Johnson? Question mark, question mark. He doesn't think it's possible, mate. But it moves at a fast enough pace that its failures can be ignored. Cheers, mate. (laughs) (laughs) You're a piece of shit, man. (laughs) No, honestly, that was... I had to... I actually... I had to scroll. I, I had to scroll a lot for that. I had to scroll up for that. You went into we the got, cesspit for that one. Yeah, man, I had to, had to go around. I had to take two showers after that. You don't need to keep me humble, Dan, because when I asked my mum what she thought of it, she was like, no, I really liked it. And I was like, oh, who did you like? She was like, and she said it completely deadpan. She was like, well, I liked uh, Diane Morgan. I thought she was brilliant. And I thought Leslie Jones is very, very good. And, and I like Samuel L. Jackson. And then there was just this <laughs> long pause where I'm looking at her. <laughs> And then this, she's like, go make me a coffee. Like, yes, mum. <laughs> <laughs> Straight back to no, but seriously, humble. The, mate, it's, it's I, this everyone, he didn't know I was going to do that, but the, the people, it was very well received. Big bones to see Black Boris feature in there. Mm-hmm. The guy doing the Boris Johnson impression nailed it. Uh, the part where Boris Johnson was put into a black man and you hear someone yell do you have a repeat for that suit I lost my shit the movie's brilliant <laughs> it's you did one role man got into a worldwide pandemic survived the thing and decided you know what I'm going to start making some jokes out of this and then nine months in nine months he's on Netflix in a thing. so I'm kind of mad still but you carried it off. You carried it off, man. I thought it was wicked. I, I had a question. How did yeah. it come about? How did it happen? So, obviously, I was uh, slinging these Black Boris videos up on the net, and I did one. I actually forget the one that I did. I think I must have, like, retweeted the BBC with the video, kind of just highlighting how bullshit it was, and it started blowing up. And... uh Charlie Brooker kind of came in the uh, like responded good grief as good so and you know what I'm gonna be super honest now so at the time this is around the same time and I've never told this story uh on the pod before at the time the producer for the new spitting image uh was uh in contact with me and was saying mate love your stuff we've uh, got a an American director, we're looking to rerun this, want to have you on. Can you send through some stuff so that I can pass it on? So I did. I, there, so there's some there's there's some Black Borises that no one's ever seen that I sent off to, 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 this, to this guy. Never got back to me. Didn't even acknowledge that I'd responded. So I'm there like, well, maybe that's, the, that's as close as I'm ever going to get. So about six, eight weeks later, uh, the producer gets in contact with me really great woman and just says oh uh like to meet up with you is that uh, like arrange a zoom call with uh with charlie i was like she's like is that something you'd be interested in? i was like yeah yes that's something i'd be very interested in. I'd, be, I'd be i'd be particularly interested in that um so yeah we uh we have the zoom call he's like love what you're doing what's your plans what are you looking to do you know what's kind of where's your comedy background um and then said to me that he like to uh, bring me on as a writer for for this project so yeah what then happens is uh 
you get an email saying, right, you're going to be, we need you to write jokes about these months of the year and these specific events, and you've got a day. So you just start, you just start slinging jokes, slinging jokes, slinging jokes, slinging jokes. And then I sent it off, and I didn't hear anything for a few days, and they were like, we absolutely love those. So then did that a couple of times, and then I get a message asking if, if, they, if I'd be cool with the character being in it. And I was like, yeah, yes, I would be. I'd be very cool with the character being in it. This, this is a Netflix show. I'd be, yeah, I'd be extremely cool with that. So then at the uh, start of December, I uh, went down to London, recorded the ting. And uh, yeah, then it came out. And what's really funny is that all the jokes that I slung in that show, one of the, one of the bits I did not write was my own, uh, the own stuff that I had there. So there was obviously a lot left on the cutting room floor, but I didn't write any of the Black Boris material for Death to 2020. That was, uh, that was Charlie himself. And uh, it, there's, there's a couple of lines that were left on the cutting room floor that, that had me in bits. So, but yeah, that's, that's the process, Dom. And I, and I know you didn't write it, but like Dan said, that do you have a receipt bit killed me. Absolutely <laughs> killed me. <laughs> it's the retort. The timing. Man. The timing's perfect. The comic timing on that. Just, yeah, you, your timing's perfect. Just the question and the edit's perfect. Yeah. It just cuts off. <laughs> so with that, so that, so once those questions started getting fired in, there was a load of questions get fired in and I was ad-libbing and there was one, uh, one of like the people on set kind of kept saying, how many kids you got? How many kids you got? And so there's one shot and I saw the shot when I was there live and it's, flipping hilarious so you can hear him saying how many kids you got and you see me shoot him a look and then look away and he says it and he says it and then I go 17 for goodness sake and, and then they they shouted cut directly afterwards I was like I really hope that come that stays in but it didn't but it was uh it was funny like this way this guy had Black Boris pressed but yeah it was a hell of an experience and just I, will, I just want to kind of put on record just how professional and how good Netflix has been the whole time. Obviously, subsequently, and even before this, I've been trying to work in and around uh, the industry and their professionalism is just levels, levels above most other kind of uh, organizations that I've been trying to kind of work with. I've heard they pay quite well as well. I don't know where you heard that from because I ain't put my business out in the streets. <laughs> but please don't be confusing me with Dave Chappelle. <laughs> I, ain't, I ain't getting Dave Chappelle money. I've got Not a sample yet. size of one and it's Dave Chappelle. Yeah. <laughs> what, um, are you able to say what you did, right? Or like, was there one where there was like a particular person you wrote the most for? So this... I've had a few people ask me that. What they did is that they kind of, there was a really big writing team. And so oftentimes I'd hear bits of my jokes. So I'd hear like a set up to one of my jokes, but then a different payoff. Or I'd hear my payoff, but not quite the setup. So the bit that I'm proudest that stayed in was I gave some very light criticism of uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And that stayed in. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was just one of those where I was just like, I want to be real careful, but... I also wanted to acknowledge that, you know, she hadn't, nobody's perfect. And I think in the, when somebody dies, we do this, like when somebody dies, it's almost like this decision. Are we going to remember them as good or bad? So it's like, like take Michael Jackson, for example. It's like, we just decided that uh, he died in 1991. And then after that, everything that happened from 91 to 2009, once he died, it was like, nope, he released Dangerous, did the world tour. And then that was it. Like there's no, there's no kid allegations. There's nothing, there's, there's no whole, hanging a baby out of a window. And, you know, I grew up, like, really consuming a lot of Charlie Brooker. And one thing that I'll say about Charlie Brooker is that he 
doesn't hold punches. His first piece that I kind of really saw his name was the Brass Eye special on paedophilia. He was one of the writers on that, the the show that got Brass Eye taken off air. Um, and, you know, that's, that's really not pulling any punches. So... And then uh, a lot about the US election as well. I, I heard little bits and bobs that I'd written in there. But they kind of, uh, for £5, if you kind of subscribe to the Patreon, I'll kind of let you know some of the jokes <laughs> that I put in that were too hot for TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, well, that, that, ruins, uh, that ruins my question, man. Damn, I was trying to provoke. <laughs> but no, it was such an interesting show because obviously you kind of knew what was coming. But I think they still did such a great job of delivering on some of the key moments um, and some of the key characters. I think, yeah, it was, a, it was a great watch. I watched it with my mum as well. So it was always nice to see my mum get a giggle and get excited seeing you up there. Yeah, and I think that what I, one of the things I thought that the whole, that Charlie and, and uh, Annabelle did really well is, uh, look at me acting like I'm on first name basis with these people. Like, humble yourself, Angela. But one of the things they did do very, very well was make it partly fictional because you couldn't, there's, you can't just sling jokes about 2020 in the normal way. You like having these kind of fictional characters just provides a little bit of a buffer because it's like, how can you make jokes about George Floyd? How can you make jokes about Australia burning down? How can you make jokes about millions of people dying or Donald Trump? kind of doing what what he was doing so these fictional characters they really worked and i think it really helps that they casted it absolutely amazingly like the soccer mom if i'd have known the soccer mom character was in there i had a million jokes that 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 could have been put in her mouth and uh what what a character I loved and hated that woman. <laughs> it's so spot on. I was like, I know this bitch and I hate this bitch. <laughs> oh my God. But she was like one of the, I mean, like, you know, apart from Black Boris, she was like one of the best ones because it was just so dead on, or at least for me personally, I just was like, I absolutely know these soccer moms. And honestly, like having gone through film school and knowing what, like and specifically for screenwriting and knowing how difficult it is to actually write a screenplay and write a comedy especially about real life events i thought it was really well done and i didn't think it was chaotic at all so i laughed constantly i was gonna say i'm glad you came on to characters um because hugh grant's turn as david starkey <laughs> let's be honest that's who he was that was phenomenal and that, actually that brings me on to one of my so favourite this has been, become one of my favourite hobby horses over Christmas I was accidentally catapulted into probably the world's first ever Hugh Grant film season now it begun by I don't know if, if anyone saw this The, the Undoing on Sky and, yeah uh, one awful was, ending was, it, where it was but it's because it was set up so nicely and then yep. it, that happened that's uh, but he was quite interesting he's quite a good character and then it was that was around christmas time so i then saw um love actually and death to 2020 and i was like why do i keep seeing hugh grant everywhere <laughs> and then before i knew it two days later i was halfway through mickey blue eyes and i was like this is ridiculous i'm not even looking <laughs> for these films and then i realized He's actually brilliant in all of them. And then I fully committed to the Hugh Grant film season 
So I watched About a Boy, I watched The Gentleman, just recently I watched Paddington 2, and I realised <laughs> we are in the middle of a Hugh Dawn. We had the reconnaissance. This is a Hugh Dawn. <laughs> a Hugh Dawn. This is Hugh Grant. This is Hugh Grant showing his range on multiple projects. And you know, we're just uh, Angela's just at the start of his career, and he's going to be able to say he was there in the the height of a Hugh Dawn. And you go back to what he had before. We've not even gone into not in not in Hill and all that stuff back then. I've still got remains of the day to watch. Phenomenal. In fact. If Piers Brosnan hadn't ruined his turn as James Bond, maybe they wouldn't have gone for just like a street scuffer as Bond. <laughs> They'd have gone for like a suave, like British foppy character, and we could have had, we could have had a completely different world. But unfortunately, not. But yeah, shout out Hugh Grant, shout out him for for taking on the phone hackers, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I never ever thought that this podcast would turn into a Hugh Grant loving. <laughs> Hold tight. Hold tight, Tennyson. Was it Tennyson he's called in the show? Tennyson Foss, yeah. Tennyson Foss. Brilliant. But yeah, so you, um, you were on set one day? Yeah, so they did all the filming in 10 days across, I think, two sites. Uh, it was just one of those where kind of, I think COVID meant that they couldn't. Like, it made rewrites impossible. Uh, you, we just had to get it done. And we were lucky that we had that, like, little break from, like, full lockdown. Because otherwise, I don't know if we'd have been able to record in the UK. But, yeah, uh, hit it and quit it one day. <laughs> That's kind of mad stuff. Your mouth's going to get you in trouble today, mate. <laughs> <Is that> so? <laughs> That's not the first one. Uh, <laughs> of a brick going up. <laughs> I lie. <laughs> uh, Man's, uh, banter feeling himself <laughs> wow let's we need to we need to finish this segment now before he, before he pops off too much so angelo well done nice. welcome back well done man thanks man huge congrats yeah. man alana is america still there this just in uh america is still there uh, it's a bit up in the air as to how long it will last, but she's still there, waving that grand old flag. <laughs> Unity. Unity. Mm. Yeah, Purple that was definitely that. the uh, the word of the day on Wednesday. Unity. Uh, build back better. Uh, first black, first Asian, first woman vice president. Bernie Sanders, Wool Mittens, J-Lo, Mitch McConnell's there. Why? Uh, <laughs> what, what, what other takes did I have from yesterday? America. America. Was anybody else watching? This is, this is probably because I'm a bit bad mind. But when Trump left the White House, I was still in peak 2020 mindset. Like, I thought something was about to pop off. Oh, yeah. Like, like seriously. I didn't know yeah. if someone was going to get got or if something was going to happen, but I was certain. Like, watching it on the edge of my seat, like, something's about to happen here. I honestly, my biggest worry watching, I was like, God damn it, Joseph R. Biden, do not trip, do not <laughs> stutter, just make it to the goddamn podium and make it to the swearing end, please, for the love of God. But he's I good. Yeah. I'm not going to... 
We did the we did a little cheeky election special, Alana, Angelo, and I. And I'm not. I'm pretty sure everything we said came to pass in the end. We said that like, it's going to be disputed for ages. They're going to try and riot for a bit. He's not going to accept it. They'll try and obfuscate. And I said that they ultimately these Trump fans they make a lot of noise, but they haven't got the stomach for it at the end of the day. Like you come down, you see what happened? They got in there. They were just like, oh, 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 didn't know what to do. You can't just, you can't just, you can't just storm a Congress and then just walk to the airport like it's like it's calm. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, it's, we should they, be, they we just, should be kind of happy that they didn't know what to do because I think the other thing on their agenda was to start popping off. So I'm kind of glad they didn't have the appetite for anything else. To be honest, and I don't actually think that some of them didn't know what to do. I was watching. Um, uh, AOC posted a video on Instagram just after the Capitol building insurrection. And she was talking about her experience there and like the experience of trauma and basically cause obviously she was in the Capitol building. And she was saying how there were even members of Congress who, you know, she couldn't go into the secure locations within the Capitol building because she knew that some Trump supporting members of Congress would disclose her location and she was like, if you were in there, it very much felt like, you know, she was either going to die or be kidnapped or whatever. And so it, there was mere minutes between the Capitol being taken over and those congressmen and women being escorted out. So, it, I mean, and people went in there with, you know, zip ties and stuff to kidnap people and to take them hostage. So it's all funny looking at the memes and the guy in the Viking hat and whatever, but... It's really lucky, actually, that it's not as bad as it was. And not even lucky, because five people died. Five people died because of that. Well, I think what you saw there as well, interestingly, was that was the difference between these sort of day cops who basically are paid to stand there when tourists come in and take photos and stuff and stop kids chewing gum and the actual secret services. Because the woman who was the Trump... Uh, I think she was in the Air Force, an Air Force veteran, Trump protester, that's who shot her then because she was told not to come any closer and that's what the secret services are just trained like that there's no bargaining there's no waiting it's that's what that's their sort of training and i think that's it's it seems crazy to me that you'd have that kind of discrepancy in the in the level of the people trained to protect quite important people i'd say yeah Sorry, i mean but... i don't want to say too much on that but just just on that point it's it's interesting how it's it didn't have to just be a handful of secret service. There were warning signs for weeks, months that this was going to happen. Multiple requests to have the National Guard brought in or some sort of military brought in to protect the Capitol building. They were denied by Trump. So and, and I think at the same time, there was like another protest, a Black Lives Matter peaceful protest in Washington, Washington, D.C., either the same day or like a couple of days after. And it's just like the whole military and marines are out <laughs> to like surrounding yeah, these mean, like 20 people it's just yeah i mean it's so obvious it, it was a really it's a really weird way to find out that police can actually show restraint wasn't it i was like oh mm. so they they don't need training so surreal they don't need training at all and that yeah, was you a lot of the posts i saw a police officer and beat the shit out of them and they still won't shoot you if you're white it's it, that is beyond reform 
Did you see the video when they were actually in the um in whatever like the main chamber is, and the police officer's like, you know, uh, you guys really shouldn't be in here. <laughs> 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 like, come the fuck on, man. Uh, yeah. Angelo, I know you are a strident pro Biden booster. How do you feel? <laughs> 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 You funny. I've been cautious about Biden and Harris because the message of let's return to a time before Trump, all that does is bring you to a time that laid the conditions for Trump to exist. Like, we all want to talk about how great Obama wasn't. And it's not, Obama wasn't great. Obama made us feel good. And there's a big difference. There's a big difference between somebody being great and somebody making you feel good. Like, a good, a good takeaway will make you, will make you, uh, like it's great but it doesn't make you feel good like a couple of days later and there is a real need to address inequality because the thing is is a lot of the inequalities that kind of have visited on the poorest uh that have visited on ethnic minorities the problem is with kind of the obama presidency was that what then happened is it started bleeding out into other communities you started seeing kind of working class white communities that were struggling with a drug epidemic and not being able to afford healthcare. And all the time that this is happening, you're seeing the rich get much richer. You know, this is, you know, it's, it was slightly before, but, you know, this is the Cribs generation. This is uh, my super sweet 16, where you see rich people just showing extravagant displays of wealth. And I think that if Joe Biden doesn't commit to a really radical uh, economic policy that seeks to address these issues, then we can see that where the next Trumps are. That Josh Hawley, uh, you know, looks like he's come out of central casting as kind of white guy. Um, he, you know, he, he, he will take on that Trump fan base. And the way that, that America is set up, you don't need to win a majority of people. My prediction for the election was that um, Biden would win the popular vote by more than Hillary did and still lose because of the Electoral College. And I think he was 100,000 votes away from losing across the key, the key swing states. It's nothing. So the only thing that's going to work is a radical agenda. And I just don't know that this 78-year-old lifelong career politician's got it in him to be radical. But, you know, we live in hope. Yeah, I think that's... I think that's fair to say, but I think yesterday really demonstrated and the inauguration really demonstrated an openness and a humility, which obviously the US hasn't seen for a few years, um, especially in like the broader narratives. And I think that's really important. I think, you know, for the first time I was refreshed watching, you know, the American president deliver a message. And it wasn't just a blase message of, you know, America is amazing. We're going to be great. Don't worry about it. It showed a real understanding of the issues, of the breadth of the issues. And I think, you know, for a, a first innings, you know, uh, and his first take and first run at this, he's not just speaking well, but he's backing it up with his actions, you know, joining the climate pact, um, repealing a lot of the, you know, the uh, negative kind of legislation and discriminatory legislation that Trump put in. So I think he's not showing he's radical, but he's showing he's willing to act. And I think, you know, that bodes well for the future. I also think, yeah, something that I definitely noticed in the speech, and at the end of the day, it, it, let's be honest, the inauguration, it's a lot of pomp, 
It's a lot of circumstance. <laughs> it's a lot of um, rhetoric, but I actually felt like you were saying, Nate, that there is, it just feels like there's a little bit more understanding and compassion um, and sincerity in the speech that I heard because he, he specifically mentioned in his speech um, tackling, um, you know, rebuilding the middle class, an acknowledgement of racism and white supremacy, which I don't know if any inaugural, inaugural speech has ever done that, um, talking about how they need to band together to um, be more effective against the pandemic that we're all in, um, talking about healthcare for all, having safer schools. It was like, while there was not a specific plan that was laid out because you can't in an inaugural speech, they did actually touch on specific issues that I think are, I mean, it, it gives me more hope um, than I have had uh, certainly the last four years or with any other presidency. And then to also see how his cabinet is the most diverse cabinet that that any president has ever had, to see that it does seem like he's his administration is working with more progressives like your AOCs and, you know, the, the Fab Four. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I do. I guess time will tell. I'm hopeful. But again, it's like we shall see. Yeah, I feel it's very much a case of anything he does is going to be in stark contrast to what came before. So it's it's very difficult to to judge where he's going to end up. It's probably unfair to judge where he's going to end up. But what he has shown so far is he's shown a, probably a bit more nuance than I thought that he would. And that, and that was was actually possible when he's making his appointments. It's un, it's an it's difficult to tell whether it's just window dressing or whether it's a commitment to a lasting uh, policy change over a series of years. They've got the Senate, they've got Congress, they've got enough votes to get anything through. This happened last time. Obama had the biggest mandate of, of in many many years, and what happened? Uh, Mitch McConnell made it difficult. And he didn't have the stomach to fight these these filibusters. He should have been able to get through anything he wanted, and yet he couldn't. So it's whether they've actually got the the stomach to fight for the things that they claim they believe in, or whether you know it's it's one of those where we're just going to uh, make America appear that it's improved in uh, over its position um, in the last five years. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that. Done because I was having a, a conversation with a friend who put up one of these memes about kind of hopefully this will get us to a place where we can talk to people that disagree with us as opposed to living in two separate camps and it's one of those where I completely agree with the sentiment but as I said to them it's difficult to kind of talk to somebody when their start point is I don't believe that you as a woman should have reproductive rights or where their start point is I don't believe that you as a Muslim are anything other than a devil. Or their start point is is that because you are black, you should you are lesser than I am. It's very difficult to find a middle ground. And do you know what? I think that part of that is the Twitterification of debate, where it's where the problem is is that you have a split screen, and it's like on one side it's um, a woman that believes in reproductive rights, and on the other side it's like the right reverend kind of crazy Christian ass saying that it's an abomination. But the, the visual of that is saying, well, there are two sides to this and you can go one side or the other. Um, and I hope that what 
Because, you know, McConnell has got form. Like, they just blocked the last kind of six years, four years, six years of um, Obama's agenda once they got the Senate. And it was blocking for blocking sake. And then as soon as they got Republican and now let's fill all of these um, uh, judges seats. Let's do all of this. So whilst I understand the the desire to be conciliatory, it's like these people are not negotiating in good faith. You know, a, a Mitch McConnell is not negotiating in good faith. Uh, Josh Hawley is not negotiating in good faith. Ted Cruz is not negotiating in good faith. Lindsey Graham is not negotiating in good faith. So you just got to be like, this is what we're doing. And we'll take whatever hits you want to put out on Fox News. But when people see that things are getting better, then we can, you know, run with our media machine too. But I just feel that the kind of, you know, QAnon and Breitbart and what's happening in this country is even worse because it's coming out of 10 Downing Street. Like the era of Dominic Cummings and this Boris Johnson era, you know, we kind of, it's easier to look at it over in America and go, gosh, wow, there's a fire uh, in there over there. Meanwhile, we're living in flames. Uh, but, you know, at least we don't have people, you know, storming the Capitol. No, because they're in the Capitol and they're slowly screwing us. Uh, but I'm going to stop before I fuck up my bags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's also, I, I, I was going to actually try and win some points with you, Angela, earlier on. I, I heard it mentioned that Joe Biden's sort of saying the right things and he's making the right alliances. And I was going to draw a parallel to when I saw Keir Starmer's um, leadership video. I was like, this is actually phenomenal. This guy is getting co-signed by legit people. You had Stephen Lawrence's mum on there. You had union leaders that he's fought for. Like, this guy is legit. And then you get into a position to do the things and sometimes you've got to compromise yourself. So, I don't know, we'll see. Um, I am a bit happier yesterday than I, uh, today than I was uh, two, three days ago, but you know, we'll see. Ultimately, Alana, what is the what is the kind of view stateside? Have you talked to your parents or anything about this? Like, what are people saying? Um, I think a lot of people are very jaded just from the last four years, um, and people are quite cynical. So I think everybody is being very um, economical with their uh, with their hope, but. I think most people are very hopeful. It's it was a little bit scary. Um, the the time between the Capitol building ish uh, situation and then the inauguration, because obviously, like half for half of my family who are people of color, um, it was just a little bit scary out on them streets. Um, but generally hopeful. I mean, I think mostly people are just taking like a big exhale of relief. Um, that we're not just like, again, to quote AOC, like free falling into fascism. Um, free just, just... falling. <laughs> Bright. So just I one thing I do want to highlight that I really enjoyed about the um, inauguration was that poem by the inaugural poem by Amanda Gorman. Did you guys see that? Yep. Yeah. yeah, young, young black woman from L.A. And I just thought her. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was the best thing 
uh, about the whole show was was her and some of the words that she said um, just really struck me. And yeah, Joe Biden should have had her as a speechwriter. <laughs> the words were great. She's your first. I did not care for the delivery, but that's really? just my I liked take it. on um, on like slam poetry, and it just it yeah. just seems a bit extra to me. But the words Slam were great. poetry. Like, like one of those where it's clicks instead of a round of applause and all that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it was spoken word. It's not slam yeah. poetry. But yeah. I, okay. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> oh, That's, I tried to bring a woman uh... down with that toxic masculinity. Hey, 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 You want to see toxic masculinity? Come, come from my podcast, man. No, I'm joking. No, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm joking. But no, just, I thought I thought the words were excellent. It's just I don't care for that kind of delivery, yeah. be it a man or a just woman. For those, for those who aren't aware, they're talking about the words of America's first youth poet laureate. Um, I think it's 14-year-old Amanda Gorman. No. Uh, she's not good enough. <laughs> no, she's, she's 23. She's, not 14. <laughs> she's, she's a woman. Yeah, she's oh yes, she's twenty two. She is um, an adult, oh, oh man. And equality means that Dom can have a go at her for not being good as a man. What? I'm sick of all of you lot, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's it's. I mean, it's America has a it has a way to go. You're in your, this is not, I believe, a time for reconciliation. I think you keep your foot on the necks. If you believe what you believe in, then you keep believing it and we can talk that out. <laughs> and if there's any merit in it, then, you know, it's going to be a valuable conversation. If there's not any merit in it, watch out, ultimately. That's, that, that's what I believe. You can't just hold a hand out, again, as Angela was saying, to people who argue in bad faith, people who are disingenuous, people who want to infringe on the rights to exist and the rights to have a family life. Uh, just because it might inconvenience them at some point in the future or now. So do not hold out an olive branch or wear a dove with an olive brooch. Lady Gaga, I'm looking at you. I think one thing I picked up on as well, which, you know, is just once again refreshing, is Joe Biden's restraint. Like he didn't once, you know, elude to directly, you know, the, the previous president, and how how hard that must have been after you know the onslaught of hate and and kind of bullshit that he's had to deal with credit to him because i couldn't have done it you know i'd have been up there shelling letting little entendres in there jab in it one little jab. just one just give him something in it just <laughs> but no he kept it together and you know once again i think that speaks volumes to the type of you know leader he's hoping to be and and trying to establish himself as could have done with a bit of corn I, I I just think that's where the bar is. I don't think he does deserve restraint as mm. a, as a what seventy odd year old man for not slagging off another man <laughs> in public. No, some people deserve like, to to suck their mums and to be told to suck their mums. So, and Donald Trump is one of those people. Let's just call a spade a spade. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe it was just like you know, it's 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 his day, it's his it's Kamala's day. So I wouldn't want to bring that energy into into that into that day, you know. And it makes it even better because it's like, what, this isn't going to be written down, you know, uh, in my inaugural speech and, and in history. So Donald Trump and all his friends can go fuck themselves into the stratosphere. <laughs> <laughs> 
That was actually one thing as well. Because Should have put it. I've I've said it before, and I mean it's no secret to anyone who listens to this podcast that we're not all the biggest fans of uh, Joe Biden or of Kamala Harris, but just being able to, in all the madness of the last four years, of the last 10, 11 months in particular, and and see a woman and a woman of colour um, be sworn in as the vice president, taking aside her politics and her track record in California, that alone was something that made me feel quite warm inside. Um, so I'm I'm not going to go on about it too long because I know that Jello's going to say something if I do. But that was a nice feeling. It was good to see. No shots from me. It's fair. And and to be fair to you, Dom, you're entirely consistent in your position on this in terms of representation. Today is not the day. Kamala, you will get it at some point this year, but not mm-hmm. today. Not today. Yep. Fair. Any more for any more? <laughs> Jello's dying to say something, man. <laughs> no, 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 no. He's, he's, he wants he wants to let the ting ring. He doesn't. Screw, screw, screw. No, let the ting breathe, man. Let the ting breathe. That's in his growth. Headphones, he's actually, he's, that's that's twenty twenty one growth. T- that he's got ten commandments in his headphones. <laughs> <laughs> For all the listeners who can't see his face right now, man, he is screwing. <laughs> not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. Look how man's out here trying to make me look like a dickhead. Dickhead, bro. <laughs> 2021, it's a new year, a new month. It's a weird year. It's not a weird month. It's the same month as we've had many, many times in a row, guys. Um, goals for 2021. So I guess I'll start by saying, which of you guys are goals people? Are you a goals person, Jello, in general? Uh, so let's get straight into it. I think the problem is, is that I can set goals, but I also want to be very alive to the moment. Like, the start of mm. last January, I was kind of thinking, right, I'm going to parlay my masters, going to kind of go down that route. And at the end of it, I'm on the biggest show on Netflix. So do you know what I mean? It's like, it's all well and good having goals. Absolutely. But I think you've got to be alive to opportunities and moments as they present themselves. But I'm driven. And I think that's slightly different to having goals. Yeah. Nate, you're a, you're a yeah, very strategic I think... thinker. So I'd have thought you would be. Yeah. Yeah, I like to have kind of clear goals um, and not just clear as in like, you know, what I'm going to do and achieve them, but just the direction more so. I think that's what last year taught me was that as much as, you know, you can plan and you can have the goals, um, there's always going to be an element of patience and adapting to it. So I like to keep them kind of not too far in front, like kind of a few months in front now. Um, before I used to have like the five year plan that's gone out the window. The world moves too fast for that. Um, so yeah, I just like to focus on kind of the short to medium term and, and yeah, just visualize and, and, and kind of realize what I want to achieve. Um, yeah, I'm definitely a, a goal setter, but it's more like, um, I like to set intentions at the beginning of the year. Um, like I like to kind of feel into what, what energy, what vibe I want to take into that year. Um, and then sort of what intentions I want to to realize. And then my goals tend to be more process focused rather than outcomes focused. So it'll be, I want to, um, you know, spend this much time uh, running, recycling, or I want to take these lessons, but there's not necessarily a, a concrete goal because yeah, like Angelo and Nate said, it's kind of, 
life just moves too fast sometimes <laughs> to, to actually make plans. And, and I don't want to limit myself, but I definitely need to have purpose and I need to have direction. Absolutely. Uh, Dom, what about you? Yeah, I'm, I kind of set very short term goals of maybe a couple of, a couple of months at a time, but they're typically for things that are quite trivial, like try and do X every day when I wake up for a couple of weeks, not something that's really going to shape the rest of my year. But for me, I have an outline of where I want to get in a certain amount of months of years say, I don't know, like buying a property or something. And then it's just all about the decision points that I reach in my life, making sure that I do the right thing in that moment to contribute towards reaching whatever that goal may be um, in X amount of months or years. So it's not something that I typically write down. Um, I have written a few things down this year, but it is again, it's quite broad. It's like making sure that if you're in a room with someone whom it might be quite valuable to have a conversation with, have that conversation. And then off the back of that conversation, there might be a new set of goals because there's something that's opened up that wasn't open beforehand. So I, I do feel like goals are useful, but I think sometimes they could potentially be quite limiting. So I don't like to limit myself too much by that. It's, uh, it's interesting. That's uh, sort of the way a few of you thought. Like I, I as a person, it, I have to really strive for consistency in anything. I love the energy of doing new things and having new ideas. And then like, it's real, like the last three, four years, like I've really had to work at the sort of nuts and bolts and doing the 99% to get me to the, the finishing point. And that's where like the goals, are, as you say, I say, okay, I want to do this in a year and then break it down to 12 months and then break that down to, okay, well, what am I doing this month? What am I doing this week? And it'll shout out Tom Wright, he got me into that. Um, and I think it's just worth us having this conversation today because everyone's different. And like you say, it, not only can goals be limiting, but in a year like this, you don't know where, uh, if you if you set yourself to, I'm going to do this in a year's time and you make no progress in three months, that's only going to destroy your morale, isn't it? It's, it's going to be very difficult for you to feel like you're making progress as a human when in reality, I think we mentioned before, just simply surviving is last year was was an absolute achievement and everyone should be patting themselves on the back for that but it's interesting because we had uh, an afiok on last year before christmas shout out neef and i saw him post something that his brother had seen he said my brother was reading a book called the 12 week year it suggests setting goals aspirations in 12 week blocks rather than a year focusing on the 12 weeks in front of you allows more certainty with your intentions and plans and i feel like that definitely covers off what a few of you guys um, have been saying. I think, yeah, you, but, um, that kind of fatigue of and morale, I think that's a big factor in it. You know, as we said last year, has has kind of really shown the world is, is crazy and turbulent. And I think actually just focusing down on some of those smaller goals, like you say, Dom, those things you can do every day, I think that's probably the healthier way of going about it in this current moment. Um until you know we get a sense of you know surety from the rest of the world uh, yeah. in the future i think yeah, i think that's the issue sorry just just this is just a really quick one i think when we have social media and everything we can see so much success or apparent success around us and if that looks anything like something that you're aspiring to do then that is already pressure that you're putting on yourself to attain whatever that thing is that you're seeing on social media and on, on other kinds of media. So I think if you do break it down to these much smaller, much more manageable chunks, 
then it's better not just for your own progress but for your also also for your mental health yeah and what i was going to say was with that 12 week uh the 12 week year and 12 week goal setting is that's what about 90 days and uh for me a lot of my goal setting or my focuses tend to be in building new habits and there's this idea that if you do something consistently for 90 days then it will just become second nature and just become a habit to you so a lot of my goals focus around okay i'm going to do this for 90 days so that it just becomes a part of my life and I don't even have to look at it as really a goal. It's just a part of who I am. I think there's, I think there's some discussion around this because are you in 90 days? Tom again, he is working at Gymshark and they've got a thing where they do this thing, I think it's 66 days. I think that this is being disputed and there's a lot of people making money off this. So look out for my audiobook <laughs> about 50 days. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice round number, isn't it? <laughs> no, but, but absolutely. But yeah, what I what I personally have done is, like the last year, I got the job that I always wanted to get, and it's funny because I've grafted my absolute bollocks off, and I've realised this month is that you can make like the craziest ads, you can make the most interesting activations. Ultimately, the universe was just like, nah, no one's ever going to see them. So, how, how can my goal to be like? to win an award or to get these amount of things published because in a work context those are out of my hands so what I realised this year is okay just change like change what my goals are in the short term so you might have seen I'm running a lot okay I was like alright well I'm going to run 150k in Jan that's what it's something I can just hit every day or exercise three times a week or and then next time it's like I've got a more long-term goal so with this pod okay we're going to hit every single one that we, we say we're going to do we're going to hit all our drops on time happy days what can we do week to week and we've you know we've spoken through that as a group so it's just about doing things picking things in the short term which have got no bearing on other people that, that you've got control over and then you'll see when things open up because you've got those down everything else will start to fall into place has anyone in this group seen Soul? The new Pixar film. Yeah, no, amazing. No, I need to see it. Wicked film. great things. Yeah. Really, really good film. But without giving away too much about that, there is a certain point in the film where something happens and the, the lead character is kind of like, well, is that it? I, I thought it was going to feel different. And that is something that I often think about when it comes to setting myself goals because it's difficult, isn't it, to get that balance between something that's actually ambitious um, and something that's plausible and, and kind of getting somewhere in between those two because I've done it in the past where I've set myself goals and then you knock them off and it's like you get this immediate feeling of content because you've you've beat what you were planning to do but then at the same time it's like well well that was easy so I think when it comes to setting goals I, I have in the past struggled to find that that middle ground um, which I think why I don't tend to write too many down it's just you're constantly straining and I mean you guys will know I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a workhorse I push people when it comes to something that I'm trying to achieve but it's never something that I write down it's just having a a kind of it's a goal-oriented mindset without setting goals which kind of doesn't really make too much sense but it makes sense to me it's, it's kind of like <laughs> it's it's in a work ethic rather than writing things down uh, Angelo so I just wanted to say obviously um you're I don't know. I guess I'll leave it to you to articulate after this, but your horizons in terms of what's possible, I'll say, have changed drastically in a year. Like, 
So, for you, obviously you're not a goal setter, but in terms of you sort of looking up now and saying, okay, next two months, next three months, which direction should I be like spending my efforts? Has that changed sort of drastically for you? Um, or is it, are yeah, you still I sort think of figuring that out. That's a that's a great great question, Dan. Um, I think that the thing for me is also just being super aware of the time that we're living in. So it's like, in an ideal world, I would have done this, headed to like a London or somewhere like that, um, kind of started trying to mingle with people in the industry, doing all of that. Um, But that's not possible. Um, And so what I'm kind of looking to do is still stay super humble, super kind of almost local. Um, So I'm, you know, for me at the minute, I'm writing a few bits. I've got a few different concepts and stuff and just understanding that, do you know what? That with uh, Death to 2020 out now on Netflix, get streaming. Um, that's uh, that, that could be a Haley's Comet moment. But actually, it's if I've got decent foundations, if somebody wants to say to me, what have you got besides Black Boris? I need to be able to have more than air in my hand. So the thing for me is that I'm still writing because I don't forget that I was brought on as a writer before I was brought on as a performer. Um, and just trying to make sure that, you know, when opportunity arises that I see it for what it is and I think that there's a lot to be said for kind of staying super humble but super intentional and that's again different to having goals but everything I do is done with intent that's a much better way of articulating what I was trying to say (laughs) (laughs) no it's good and I think I'm glad we've all sort of come at this in a different area like just just slightly different but with, with the same sort of mindset and I think we're quite lucky that we're all fairly comfortable in our own knowledge of what we can achieve and we're all quite ambitious people um I know sort of I, I, I progressed a bit Nate progressed a bit Angelo you, you took a big step and sort of for you Alana who's looking I know in the last year or so uh, to 18 months back you've begun to sort of question and really sort of shape where you want to go next? Is that something that you're still doing now? Or is it, you, obviously it's it's probably a bit of a longer plan now given what's happened, but... Yeah, it's is definitely... Is that still a thought? It is definitely still um, something that is a priority to me. Again, for me, this year my, my goals or my intentions, my focuses are more on committing to a process and just staying the course and making sure that I'm holding myself accountable to doing doing the work or my vocation that that really um, brings me joy. Um, I'm really passionate about self-care. I'm really passionate about fitness, nutrition, um, self-development. So th- these are all things that are very personal and their goals that, to be honest, aren't really impacted by um, lockdowns or quarantines because I can always be developing myself. Um, I can always be trialing things on my uh, on my own. Like last year, one of my goals was simply to be adaptable, or actually pretty much my only goal. It was just practice surrender, practice release, practice being adaptable because I'm usually somebody who's so controlling and 
I'm like a recovering perfectionist and I need, I want things a certain way. And I like usually would set actually very tangible, concrete goals. And I just really have learned to um, not be so destination focused, but be more journey focused. And now a lot of my goals are, yeah, just um, about being more consistent, more steadfast. Um, and I'm actually a really <laughs> spiritual person too. So my spirituality is really important to me. Um, so I really want to dive deeper into that, you know, with meditation, mindfulness, um, reading more books. And so I, I guess I'm kind of lucky in that the things that really drive me and motivate me are things that I could just do in the comfort of my own introverted <laughs> world and room. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. I think a focus on the process is always going to steer you right because it's robust and it will, you know, it stands the way of, of anything else going on. Uh, with you, yeah. Nate, I know you sort of get, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, and you can't really be disappointed that way because it's like you're doing what you love. So it doesn't really matter like what comes, not that it doesn't matter, but you kind of release this expectation of an outcome and you just are actually living <laughs> instead of like living for an outcome that may or may not happen. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Nate, you sort of pivoted your own business uh or spun it off should i say into your own thing again with you is that have you, have you been sort of taking stock over the over the holidays and yeah seeing where that's going definitely i mean you guys you all know what i'm like i'm you know pedal to the metal once once i'm going and actually what was really nice about the last couple of months was i kind of took the foot off the gas um you know we got some client work done we got some projects done um at the back end of last year so that felt really positive um and then a big thing for me is the, the peaks and the troughs, as you kind of say, Dom, when you achieve a goal or you get something, that kind of like almost, sometimes it can feel like a hangover, can't it? Um, so actually what the focus is now is exactly as you say, Dan, just taking stock. Um, I'm in a very fortunate position that I don't have to kind of force anything. Um, and yeah, just not even goal setting for the year, but just trying to be much more intelligent with my effort. Um, I think last year it was kind of gung-ho. I was super excited, super uh, exhilarated. Um, that the opportunities were kind of lining up and now it's just about yeah being a bit more mindful with them being a bit more mindful of myself and the, the impact on myself it's, it's resting the twitter fingers resting yeah trust me the triggers the trigger is ready to be sent but nah we're uh yeah that's just a bit of self-care anyway because spending all life uh all the time on social media during this time is not the one exactly it's 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 not uh it's not the greatest place to be so i feel like you know consolidating that the message would be to to find your own path and find something which works for you in the short term so almost to protect yourself uh going forwards would you say that's fair absolutely balance. Balance. balance right there you go that's the goal <laughs> one night ooh, one night in miami did you watch it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. We'll dub in the actual Heather Smalls just so we can compare and contrast. Will we? <laughs> Do we need to? <laughs> Dom, it was your idea. You suggested uh, this topic. Talk to me. Did everyone, what, what did everyone think of it? I, I thought it was brilliant. I didn't know what to expect from it really because... I didn't do too much research into the writers and who was involved in it. I knew that it was Regina King, but that aside, I wasn't too aware of what 
the whole story was. I knew it was a fictional story of the four gents that that uh, meet up in Miami. Um, but the film which centers around a fictional conversation between Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali, then known as Cassius Clay, um, after he's just beat Sonny Liston to become the heavyweight champion of the world. It's a really, really interesting, as we say, um, fictional conversation. One of the things that I love the most about it, and there's kind of a theme that's building here with with, uh, Ma Rainey and also Fences, is I love these screen adaptations of of, um, films that were initially plays. And I think this was another one that was brilliant, which it isn't for everyone because they are very wordy. But I just think some of the conversations, they very, very much reminded me of the kind of conversations that we have in our group chat and on the podcast when on any given topic, there's going to be one person in the room that's very, very militant. And then there's going to be someone who is kind of, for want of a better phrase, um, playing devil's advocate. And I just thought the way that it was executed was brilliant. I thought that the actor who played Jim Brown, I don't know why, but something about his role was was excellent. Yeah, it, I thought it was brilliant. W- what did everybody else think? Dom, one thing I would push back on, though, is that, who or question is, who would you say is the militant in that? Because I would argue that at different points, they're all extremely militant. Um, I think Sam, the Sam Cooke, played by... Like just one of my favorite people, Leslie Odom Jr. He's phenomenal when, in that. Yeah, when he when he's talking about the music business and you know, kind of highlighting that there's different ways to play the game, that's just as militant in a way as kind of uh, Malcolm's more plaintive, almost binary. There's us and them kind of um, thing that he's doing. Um, so I'm just interested because you were like saying, "Oh, there's one that's militant and one that's kind of slightly different." I would, who would you say was militant? Because I would that's, argue that that's, the most that's militant the... was that it changed throughout. That's the whole point that I was trying to make, really. In that, when we're having conversations, depending on what topic it is, there'll be one person that's militant um, in inverted commas, and then that person might be the person that is actually very thought provoking in a completely different topic. So that's what I thought was brilliant about it, in that the role switched depending on what conversation was being had. I, I will just stop cutting there, Joe. I will say as well, I think what you're seeing there is the strength of the writing. It's, I think it was Regina King was behind it and having the story told from the side of black people and having the story sold from that side. Whereas you, you always see Malcolm X is this militant guy, nation of Islam, by any means necessary. Martin Luther King, peaceful guy, peaceful protesters. Nelson Mandela, like peaceful. It's black people can only be, we've talked about this before. They can only be one thing, they can only be binary. Then, then you see a film like this and you see the nuance and you're like, oh yeah, actually, <laughs> in, in, we are actually allowed to be characters who have a complex range of opinions and actions and behaviours depending on who we're around and depending on how we feel at a topic at one moment in time. And I think that's the strength of the film and the writing, but it's just telling that it feels like it's an outlier because it's, it's the first time we've seen it in, the, in a long time on film. I think that's you know even exacerbated even further because of the characters it's based around. You know, when you think of the four main characters, you think of such brilliant, standout, legendary characters. But during the film, you get to see a real, like, humanity to them, a real vulnerability. You know, when they are questioned and pushed on some of their views, that kind of willingness and friendship that they have to explore them showed, for me, like a whole different side to the character of Malcolm X. And I know it's just fictional, 
But to see someone who is always deemed so militant and powerful and strong look so vulnerable at times um, was just something that was really thought-provoking. Um, and then, you know, the the kind of debates we have around kind of, you know, the militancy of it's got to be this way or no, we can have a system that works for both. It explodes such key themes, but started them off with the harsh reality of America. And I think that little reminder at the start, you mentioned Jim Brown, you know, his introduction and kind of the moment he has in the very beginning of the film sets the tone for it all to then see later on when they're debating and arguing where it comes from. And they, they really did a good job of kind of humanising these legendary figures. That bit at the start was cold as all heck. When like you, you're seeing him have this lovely conversation, it's all great. Then it, like, I'm just a little spoiler. Um, so this kind of old white character's just being so loving and great towards him, kind of bigging him up. And then uh, a woman comes from the house and is like, come on, we need to move this. He's like, oh, you're doing some lifting. He's like, yeah, he's like, do you need, need a hand? And the guy just <laughs> looked at him and goes, come on, Jim. You know we don't have niggers in the house. And it was <laughs> the thing is, it shocked me so much. I was like, what? Really? Did you not see that's where it was going? I knew. I, I did was like, not see the, that coming at all. Man. When he re- when he refused the lemonade and gave that awkward look as he sat down, that was it for me. I knew yeah, something yeah, wasn't knew quite was right. Coming, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, it was too good to be true. That shit caught me off guard. <laughs> but that's that's what was wonderful about it, though, isn't it? Because although it is a very dark and and upsetting topic, it's these are four men, three in particular, who are right at the top of their game the household names in white america as well as black america and still the difficulties day to day and questions that they're asking of themselves as well as of the broader society that shows the nuance that it takes to have these conversations and to be able to explore these themes as well as they did in two hours i think it's it's testament to the brilliant writing yeah and like dan was saying i definitely see the similarities in the sort of setting and the conversations that they were having amongst themselves and and what we do here and the fact that we are trying to give light to the nuances in in black narratives and, and black stories and one thing that i liked about the film on top of you know everything that you guys have said is how it made me confront my own stance in you know the movement for black lives and what is my role and you know there's one of the characters um is really pushed towards using his particular skills and gifts for the movement and and for the cause you know and to help liberate black people um and there's some resistance uh that that he has against this and it it just forced me to to think about you know, am I using my own skills in the most authentic way to fight for the things that, that are important to me as well? And, you know, we all have something to contribute to this fight. Um, and it's we're not all going to, to go about it in the same way, but we all have the same objective of, of you know, social justice and, and Black liberation from oppression. Yeah. I have a question, though, and maybe I think Dan touched on it again. But so we were talking about the similarities between us and I'm watching this film and I, there's certain characters where I was like, that's Angelo or that's Dom or that's me. So I want to know, uh, can we do a casting 
a recasting <laughs> of this movie with the, the, the black people in a box. Dan's definitely Cassius Clay. Because he doesn't shut what? the fuck up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I mean, um, I, I, could, I, uh, I disagree, but... Uh, I, I, would, I would say, just off, off the back of that, just to cut in there slightly, it's a really difficult job. I've noticed in every single version of, of every depiction of Muhammad Ali, they should, like, I'm glad they did it in this film, but they should probably stop putting him in movies because I don't think it's, it's possible that there's ever been someone so captivating in real life and mm. so well-known and so loud in life that it overshadows anyone who ever plays him. And, like, I had to... I, it was a real struggle for me to watch... Ali, the film, to watch Will Smith try and do it because I knew he'd, he'd he'd ham it up too much trying to be it, and it just it takes away from the story. This guy was good. I, I've seen this guy before in Ballers, and he's a decent. He's a decent young actor, and yeah, you know, I mean, it was it was he was doing his thing, but the story was compelling enough, and there was enough other star power around him that it wasn't a distraction. But every other time I've seen Ali, I'm just like, oh, someone playing Ali in a film, it just, I, I can't, I really struggle, really do struggle. Yeah, Dan, let me hop I'll on do that, my best. because uh, I felt the same thing, and the problem is, is that Ali, um, like, everybody thinks that the key to Ali, and I think that, that Will Smith thought this, that they thought the key to Ali is to get his voice right, and it's not, like, the voice, and, and you know, I feel like, like as someone that impersonates someone, the key isn't to get the voice; it's to get like all the other little bits. And I found it very difficult in the bits after the Liston fight. Spoiler alert: he wins. Um, when he's kind of talking to the audience, it doesn't. It feels like somebody that's doing an Ali impression. And I all I said after uh, Will Smith in Ali that we shouldn't have anybody playing Muhammad Ali until twenty years after he dies. Because there are too many people around and it almost feels like you've got to do it in a certain way. You've got to pay homage to it. And it's like, actually, you just need somebody to, like, just live that character. But he is, I will say, that is the best impression I've seen of Ali. But, of course, I'm there, I'm damning it with faint praise by saying that because I'm calling it an impression. Alana, who have you got then? All right, so this is what I... This is what I said. I, I put myself as Ali because I was like, sporty, check, cocky as fuck, check. Uh, and also, I think he's like a seeker. Like, and this, I thought this came through in the movie a lot was that, especially when he was younger, he just seemed like a seeker of a lot of knowledge and information. And not to say that we aren't all like that, but I often feel, you know, that I'm catching up on a lot of just information and I'm just at a point where I'm seeking a lot of knowledge. So... I related, but we can disagree, whatever. Um, but I said, I said that Angelo was lit Malcolm. So like when Malcolm be lit as fuck, but I said Nate was the more like subdued Malcolm because they're both, <laughs> both militant. <laughs> but everyone in the group is like, why are you always angry Malcolm? And I feel like we always are accusing Angelo of being so cynical <laughs> and like about to go off any minute. I said Dom was Sam Cook because he's playing that corporate game, trying to feed the people though at the same time while he's playing the game. But you know what? I actually after you we realize I also thing, work for myself like Sam Cook does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, but you know what? Like I, I still stand by that. But I can also see how Angelo, now that you know he's getting them bags, he is also like <laughs> heading into Sam Cook territory. <laughs> and then I said that Dan was Jim Brown because when he does talk, he comes out 
with some zingers and some chat and some mad shit. <laughs> uh, but it's right on point. So, and he Dan, likes Dan's Jim Brown because he knows he knows that his um, sporting career's come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch! Shit. <laughs> And he's getting into those the the ads and marketing. That was me. What do you guys think? Disagreements? Yeah, there are. There is a disagreement. Uh, Dan is Ali, quite clearly. Definitely. Uh, like Dan was so clearly Muhammad Ali. Um, you can't you can't just give yourself Ali as well. So obviously I'm Ali, and then everyone else. <laughs> yeah, that Dan's Ali, like for real, for real. Um, uh, I like I like splitting Malcolm to me and uh, Nate. Uh, I ain't got no issues with that. Um, and I I think yeah. So for me, when I watched, it, I was like Dan's Ali and Dom is uh, is Sam Cook. Uh, and then, I have got a sick voice as well. No, one day don't. I will do. It. Honestly, <laughs> one day I will do it for this podcast. I've got pipes on me. You did. You did the falsetto. You did the falsetto. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I would say though with is that when I was watching, I was like, at different times, I can see different ones of us being all of them. Um, so there are times when I'm very much on that Muhammad Ali thing of like, you know, you, you can't say shit to me. Um, but also, there's a, and this is what I, this the reason I thought Dan was Muhammad Ali wasn't so much for the bombast, bombast, bombast. I'm talking to some Northerners, bombast. Um, <laughs> Is because there are moments, and I thought this was captured really well, of like that quiet when the, the, there were arguments between some of the other characters, and you could just see him watching and like absorbing it before making a decision. And there was a sense that he was going into it with an open mind, and I felt that kind of captured Dan. Uh, that's good for really Alana well. as well, though. I think. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 a uh, that's fair. Um, I thought Nate was also. I thought you could have said that Nate was Jim Brown because. Jim Brown threatens that door guy and he and it's like, yeah, like this guy is not for your shit. Um, and I thought that I was like, yeah, if Nate came at me like that, I'd be like, yeah, no, settle yourself, like humble yourself because uh, it could pop off. There's my man from The Wire, in it? It's always a pleasure to see him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lance Reddick. That's it. Uh, yeah, he, he's like the second best thing about John Wick. He's made a career off playing one role. It's brilliant. It's, yeah, I was like, oh, Lieutenant Daniels is in John Wick. <laughs> <laughs> they've just given him a different accent. All the way here for it. Well, I like that casting. Yeah, I like it. I, I see the Dan Muhammad Ali. I see it. Uh, <laughs> I'm, just I, I, I'm, I'm Muhammad and fuck the rest of you. But like, what are you talking about? Are you, are you normal? <laughs> Muhammad Ali... Ali, I mean, come on, guys. You two Uncanny. can do alternate now. Oh, Uncanny. Um, no, I do. I do actually think that's totally legitimate. Um, yeah, but you're totally right. I, I think like all of us displayed characteristics of all of them at some point, just given the mood. I don't like the accusation that I pander to the white man. <laughs> <laughs> Who said that? I, that's I, that's what's thinly veiled here. I know. I know exactly what's going on. I, <laughs> your words. I actually. I actually thought that would be levelled at me, so I'm, I'm surprised you took that particular bullet. I'm very surprised as well, but you know. Well, to be fair, on my casting, I had Dan Cook, like, when I saw Sam Cook's performance and messaging and kind of the way he was, I saw a lot of Dan in that. I had Dan as a kind of mix between 
uh, Sam Cooke and Jim Brown because once again, you know, Dan's just so aware and so pertinent. Um, obviously, Dom, the capitalist in you, you know, also kind of led you towards, Where does this you know, come from? Sam Cooke. <laughs> this is madness. Do you know what I mean? Um, Angelo, I had down as a, I had down as Cassius Clay actually because you know when he gets when he gets going, you know, there's no stopping him. Yeah, Alana, I had you as Cassius Clay slash Jim Brown just because of like a deep thoughtfulness. There's always a deep thoughtfulness to what you do. And I thought that was real expressed by those characters in the film. And yeah, Dom, you were Sam Cooke as well. And obviously myself as kind of the militant Malcolm X. I had to do that. I had to do that. <laughs> well you didn't you didn't just cast yourself as Muhammad Ali because he's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> I cast myself as Jim Brown, but it don't matter. Because you all think I'm a mug. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be fair, Jim Brown, day one of Trump's presidency, did meet with Trump. He was straight in that White House with Steve Harvey. <laughs> For fuck's sake. So, yeah, you, do. you know, say what you're saying. Um, all, all I'll say to this is, Ali, I would have said, yeah, I can see why you'd come to the conclusion that you could be Ali. I would say that before this pod you had to text the group to say i know this looks like a maga hat but it's not one wow <laughs> to just reassure just us put people's so, business out in the street but it's not one sorry uh, but trump doesn't get to co-opt the color red for all ball caps to eternity uh, no. look i'm sorry for what i had just i'm about to do i'm calling you out for that cap you know yeah let it breathe a little you know? bit first alana he's but, just yeah. gone I'm taking it back. Okay. I'm reclaiming. Yeah, you're looking brazy. These types Real of brazy over there. Shout out to but, Pablo yeah, Zacasco. I'm glad that actually we, we picked this topic. Aztecs. Mm, it's not one of those Redskins kind of things, is it? No. Good. Just warriors. Her family are Aztecs. No, I know oh, she. Yeah. I know she is. I know she is. I'm, I'm talking about the high school. You know that there are them times where you're out in the club and you're like, hold on, let me know your family history before kind of we do anything. Alana, like, Alana can't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> She's, She's got all bases covered in too. <laughs> really, uh, that was an acute message to the Kingston gang, to the Jamaicans in the house. <laughs> I ain't from Kingston. <laughs> Family tree in notes. So, what's your last name again? X. Don't, don't start that. Don't start that. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we should do this again next time. I think someone had said Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Wicked film. Is it? I need to watch that as well. It, it's so sad, though. It's so sad to watch. So sad to watch. But once you can get maybe, past that, maybe it's it, you can see it for what it is, and it's excellent. Wicked. Maybe leaven it with soul. Double bill. No, don't do that because <laughs> you're leaving it. What, honestly, man? You ain't coming out of that hole if you watch Soul and Ma Rainey back to back. No chance. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought Soul's a kids' film. No, Oof. absolutely no, man. not. No way. It's an adults' film with shiny colours. That's it. So, that's your January episode in the can. Um, Chad, keep it a bit more light this time. Uh, we've got some big things coming for this year. And we're going to look to have a bit more themed episodes. And consider this series three. Well done for making it this far. Yes, you are right. It is getting better episode by episode. So tell all your friends, please. Thanks for listening. Uh, we've been Angelo. Yo, 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 yo. Go and watch uh, my show. i got bills to pay. Watch the show. <laughs> Big things are going. It feels good to be back in the box. Yeah, thanks for listening. You, See you all next time. Yeah, welcome back, bro. Welcome back. Yeah, I miss you guys. So happy to be back. Yeah, 
I'm just vexed that my mates think I'm an uber capitalist, but yeah, onwards and upwards. <laughs> <laughs> Money, happy, mech. We out. Peace. Bye-bye.